Welcome to Grace and Glory Audio featuring Pastor P.G. Matthew, Bible teacher and pastor of Grace Valley Christian Center located in Davis, California. Today, Pastor Matthew preaches part two of the mini-sermon series entitled Reality vs. Fantasy. If you have your Bible with you, please turn to Revelations chapter 1. Now, here is our teacher, Pastor P.G. Matthew. Heavenly Father, drive away from our mind self-delusions. Help us to know truth, truth that will set us free. This we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now you heard that. If you haven't heard, I tell you, Jesus has come. He has come back according to a news reports. Apparently he's a Puerto Rican and uh, he has a ministry, this Jesus, Grow in Grace Ministries. And one of the cardinal doctrines is that we are not sinners. And he would like you to send him money. Now, if you haven't heard this, well, then appreciate me. <laughs> I have to listen to all these things to bring to you, things that you don't know about. Reality or self-delusions. Reality or self-esteem. Reality or fantasy. If somebody comes to me and tells me his gut says that he is in perfect health, and I tell him, well, that's fine, but I want you to go to my doctor and let him give you a complete physical examination, and then bring me the papers. Then I will take a look at it, and then I'll decide whether you are in good health. Our gut says a lot of things about ourselves. Reality is not subjectivity. Philosophers said subjectivity is truth. Soren Kierkegaard said that. And that's what we are living by in this postmodern culture. You make up truth. But let me tell you, reality is, as I said last time, the triune God. Reality abides self-existing, self-sufficient God. Reality is seen in God's word alone. And reality is seen when John, on the Lord's day in the Holy Spirit, saw the Lord Jesus Christ in all his glory. It was a pretty scary sight. So we are told he fell at his feet as though dead. And the Lord Jesus told him not to fear at all. He said, he is God. He said, I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead. That is for your salvation, but now I am living forevermore. And beyond that, I hold the keys of death and Hades. And we read in these two chapters, Revelation 2 and 3, this glorious Jesus is walking among the seven lampstands, which are the seven churches in Asia Minor. These seven churches represent all churches of all ages. As royal high priest, the Lord Jesus who walks among us sees reality and tells us reality. And I hope that we will listen to what he says and be transformed by truth. And the first is the church of Ephesus. 
And this church was founded by St. Paul who stayed there for three years, we are told. And the city of Ephesus located on the west coast of Asia Minor, western Turkey. And it was the largest city of the time in Asia Minor, 200,000 people. It boasted about one of the seven wonders, which was the temple of Artemis. Its harbor could accommodate the biggest ships. Its theater seated about 24,000 people, and we had a worship service in that theater. It had a bank, a museum. The temple served as a sanctuary for criminals, and hundreds and hundreds of priests and priestesses were there promoting temple prostitution. And probably St. John the Apostle arrived there around 66 A.D. So now it is around 95 A.D. The first generation Christians passed away. We are dealing with second generation Christians. It seems during the time of Emperor Domitian, John was banished to a nearby island Patmos to hard labor because of his strong faith in Jesus Christ. Now what is then the reality that we are receiving from the lips of Jesus Christ about this church in Ephesus? As I said, he is walking among the churches. He is observing the believers. He is seeing through each one of us. And so you hear the words, I know, used ten times in these two chapters, I know. He never judges by outward appearances. His eyes are like blazing fire. He looks into our heart and speaks truth. So you take a look, chapter 2 and verse 2. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men. Chapter 2, verse 9, I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, and so on. And this church is full of works. Ephesians worked hard for God. They persevered for their faith through trials. They were orthodox, believing in apostolic doctrines. They believed in the Bible, in its infallibility. Some false apostles came to this church. Ephesians tested these false apostles and rejected them. These believers were not as gullible as modern evangelicals. They hated heterodoxy of the Nicolaitans who promoted antinomianism and practiced sexual immorality and idolatry. Ephesians did not tolerate them. Yet the royal high priest, the Lord of the church, sees a fatal flaw. They have forsaken their first love. In other words, theirs was a dead orthodoxy. Their labor was not labor of love. Love is gone out of this marriage long ago. The Lord will not tolerate such church life. The Lord's counsel consists of seven verbs. First, remember, which is a present imperative. Continue to remember, recall. That means continue to go to the scriptures and understand from where you have fallen. The high standard of the scriptures. Second, 
remember from where you have fallen, which is a perfect indicative that tells you that you have fallen away from this love for a long time and still fallen away from this blazing love for God. And then repent, which is an earnest imperative, right away and immediately and once for all, repent. And then do which is again an earnest imperative that says, prove your repentance by good works done once for all. Then verb number five, erkomai, I am coming. The certainty of Christ's coming in judgment. I'm coming. Number six, I will remove a future indicative. I will remove your lampstand from its place certainty of judgment if you do not repent and finally again repent immediately once for all repent this is the reality from the lips of Jesus Christ who walks among the lampstands the Lord of the church is not pleased with mere orthodoxy belief in the Bible and its doctrines or belief in the creeds and confessions Mere belief is not good enough for the Lord Jesus Christ. He is not pleased with mountains of activities and programs. He demands that we love God with all our heart, with all our mind, with all our soul. He demands that we love our neighbor as ourselves. And it is very interesting that though it is orthodox and though it performed huge amount of works, God rejects it outright. Imagine what God, this Lord Jesus, would do if he comes to churches today. It would be the same. Ephesians were proud of their Christian life, but their view of themselves was not reality. Jesus brings reality to them. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and surrender my body to the flames, but have not love, I gain nothing. But it tells me that we can live a Christian life without love, and God detests it. God hates it. God is about to remove that church from that locality. And it literally happened. The Lord is ready to destroy this church unless she quickly repents. The Lord is telling us to remember, repent, and do all things with flaming, sacrificial love for God and for one another. And secondly, the church of Smyrna, chapter 2, 8 through 11. I want to tell you something that will shock you in terms of what he's saying to this church of Smyrna, which is modern Izmir in western Turkey, north of Ephesus, by the Aegean Sea, a beautiful city. It was here the Romans burned at stake Bishop Polycarp of this church on February 23, 155 A.D. for his strong faith for the gospel. Polycarp was a disciple of St. John the Apostle. Jesus who died and rose again addresses this church. Take a look at it. 
the Lord knows their afflictions from the Jews and the Romans. And he says, I know your extreme poverty. Because of their faith, they were kicked out of their jobs, their properties confiscated and so on. Let me tell you to preach and teach that a Christian should be healthy, wealthy, powerful, famous is heterodoxy and not biblical truth. Saints at Smyrna were very poor. And they were falsely accused by the Jews before the Romans, as it was true in case of Jesus and in the case of St. Paul. And so Jesus reveals to them what was going to happen to them. He does not tell them that, is, that our sovereign Lord is going to punish his enemies and bless them with material blessings and a long life. He tells them, these enemies are going to throw some of you in prison for 10 days. That is for a long time, yet of course a limited time. He tells them, they're going to kill you. And then he asks them to be faithful to him through death. He tells them, fear not. Remember, Jesus did tell his disciples, fear not those who kill the body. Jesus has given us eternal life, indestructible life. Physical death cannot destroy this eternal life. And let me tell you, it's very disappointing for the Lord, the sovereign Lord of the universe to come to the church which exists in extreme poverty and persecution and tells fear not, you're going to get more of it and you're going to be killed. But don't worry. I was dead and now I'm alive forevermore. And he says, so fear not. Be faithful till death. That is, die the martyr's death and receive crown of eternal life. Jesus had told his disciples, had he not take up your cross and follow me. Any other kind of preaching is falsehood. Paul said, we must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God. The sovereign Lord has permitted the devil to kill multitude of his saints throughout history. Death to the saints is life forevermore. So the truth, reality from the lips of Jesus Christ is, don't expect an easy life here. Peace and affluence. In his will he may permit us to suffer for his name. This is reality. Third, the church of Pergamum, Thyatira and Sardis. First Pergamum church was located where Satan's throne was, it says. It was a place known for emperor worship. People would come and sacrifice to Caesar, saying, Caesar is Lord. But Christians would refuse to so confess because their Lord was Jesus. It was a difficult place to live. Satan had his throne. He ruled from there. Satan was dwelling there, pouring out his venom against the saints, against the church. And then we are told here, Antipas was martyred there some time ago. My question, why did the Lord prevent Antipas from being killed? Was he not sovereign? He's sovereign, but he doesn't save his own people from death. The truth is he permits his people being killed. The promise he makes is I give them eternal life. He does not promise us to give long life here. But the problem with this church of Pergamum was there were doctrinal errors. Take a look at chapter 2 and verse 14 and 15. 
Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching doctrine, Didache, of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Notice, the church of Ephesus did not tolerate heterodoxy or sexual immorality. They refuse to tolerate it. But here, this church tolerates it. Church of Pergamum did not exercise church discipline. They had a false view of love. They were now non-judgmental. They emphasized Christ's love at the expense of his holiness. They received everybody as members in the name of love. Jesus rejects this. He is holy. His church must be holy. So he says, repent or be killed by him. He's coming to kill you. Take a look at verse 16. Repent therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. If Jesus is non-judgmental, then nobody will be sent to hell. If Jesus is non-judgmental, there cannot be an eternal judgment. Here Jesus said, I'm going to come and kill you if you don't repent. Thank God for giving an opportunity for the church to repent. Take a look at the next church, the church of Thyatira, verse 18 through 29 of chapter 2. Thyatira church also permitted evil to be taught and practiced in the name of inclusivism. I was told that a pastor said, a man and woman is living in immorality, and the pastor said it is between them and what? God. Isn't that wonderful? Stupid pastor, why don't you read the book? The gospel is exclusive. The church permitted a wicked woman who called herself a prophetess to teach idolatry and sexual immorality. She taught against separation from the world and its sinful practices. She taught it would be all right to go to pagan festivals and join in their sacrifices and engage in sexual immoralities. We are saved anyway. Once saved, always saved. What we believe or do do not affect our soul's salvation. We should not be judgmental. Besides, how do we know what evil is unless we experience it? Or the idea that nobody can touch our soul in terms of what we do with our body. This church also failed to exercise church discipline. This is the number one problem in the church today. One of our people was attending a church service in a neighborhood town and he noticed a brother receiving Holy Communion there, a brother who had been disciplined by this church. Modern evangelical churches, by and large, has forsaken discipline for non-judgmental love. Nicolaitans, Elamites, and Jezebelites have complete freedom in these churches. Well, let's look at reality. What is the Lord's view on this? Look at verse 16 of chapter 2. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. And let's turn to chapter 2 and verse 20. Nevertheless, I have this against you. It's my church, and I see evil and wickedness in the church, and I will take action. That's my privilege. Be holy, for I am holy. The church is holy. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel. That was not her name, but she was Jezebel-like, the wife of Ahab, who brought Baal worship and Asherah worship into Israel. 
She was a feminist, despised husband's authority, and practiced immorality, and killed the Lord's prophets, who called herself a prophetess. What a church it was. Blind ministry, ignorant. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she's unwilling. Thank God he is patient. He gives you time. Hallelujah. Let's praise God for that. He gives you time. So uh, she refused. So notice, so I will cast her on a bed of suffering, bed of sickness, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely. Unless they repent of her ways, I will strike her children dead. Hmm, Jesus, the paragon of love. What type of language is this? I'll kill them. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. And you read 1 Corinthians 5, there was a man who was living with his father's wife, and the church didn't do anything. I'm sure he was a rich man. And then we read in 1 Corinthians 11, for this reason, because of sin, many of you are weak and sick, and many fall asleep, many die. You see, the Lord exercises discipline no matter what. And then you look at Church of Sardis, chapter 3, 1 through 6. It says it has a reputation to be alive. Perception is reality. Reputation to be alive. It was a mega church. It was full of activities. It has a huge budget. It is known throughout the world, the most dynamic church in the world. It didn't have any requirement for membership. Anybody can come. Reputation. What was reputation? Most dynamic, alive church in the whole world. Well, what is Grace Valley Christian Center? Well, you cannot compare with these alive churches. And the Lord was walking among these people. You have a reputation that you are alive, but reality is you are dead. It's amazing how different is reality from our own opinion. Be not deceived, God is not mocked. What you sow that you will reap. You are dead and dirty. That's what he says. Your people are clothed with soiled clothes, speaking about immorality and evil. You're dead. You are unregenerate. You are not preaching the gospel. You do not preach sin or repentance. You do not preach the cross. You do not preach about saving faith. You do not preach about heaven or hell. You do not preach about the lordship of Christ. You do not preach about the second coming of Christ. You do not preach about holiness. You do not preach about what I want you to preach about. You preach about love, health, wealth, power. You preach to entertain the dead. You are dead and you are dirty. Who said that? Jesus. He said, I know, I know. My eyes are like blazing. I know. I don't judge by appearance. I know your heart and your thought, your motivations. And even the church of Ephesus cannot deceive me. I looked through them and I saw they don't have love. So he says, remember again, a present imperative. Keep on remembering. Go back to the book. Find out how you should live. Repent immediately. Obey that's a present imperative continuously. Or I'm going to come and punish you. Blot out your name from the book. And then let's come to the church of Laodicea. Today it is called Pamukkale. And we were there, Pamukkale. It is next door to Hierapolis. 
he says, I know your deeds. In Daniel 5, verse 27, we read, you have been weighed. Weighed in God's scales. And what? Found wanting. That's reality. And first, it speaks about self-delusion. You say, and then he quotes what they said. And it comes from Hosea 12, verse 8. I am rich. I would say this is material wealth. I am rich. Plusios, from which you have plutocrat. I am rich, very rich. The Smyrna church was poor. It had nothing, but was rich toward God. But here it says, I'm rich. And then, Peplutica, which is, I am wealthy. I have acquired many things. And in the perfect tense, it means I have been wealthy for a long time. I'm rich. I've been wealthy for a long time now. And finally what? I have need of nothing. Meaning I don't need Jesus Christ. You go home and read Psalm 49. And it tells you about rich people. What they think about their riches. It's like the fool of Luke 12. Soul, eat and drink and enjoy your life for a long time. Fools. They say we have need of nothing. Well, David said, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall need nothing. Here this man says, I earned money. I have a lot of money. Therefore, I don't need anything. I don't need Jesus. I don't need faith. Faith is always self-abnegation and dependence on Jesus. He said, I don't have to believe anything. Laodicea had an earthquake in AD 60. And Rome sent a lot of money, and they refused to accept. And they built the city by themselves. This is the type of attitude. We don't depend on anybody. But what is the reality? Quickly, you are ignorant. You are ignorant of spiritual reality. You want me to tell you what the truth is? You are wretched. Same word used in Romans 7:24. Oh, wretched man that I am. Wretched. Spiritually, you are wretched. Second, you are pitiable. Third, you are a beggar. So you are so poor. Spiritually, so poor. You have nothing. Fourth, you are a blind person. No spiritual insight. And fifth, you are naked. Self-esteem is a lie. It's 100% wrong. 100% wrong. And so there is counsel given. Buy from me. You cannot buy this from anybody else. And all of a sudden you have to think, what do you mean, Pastor? He's, they are poor, then how can they buy? Well, then turn to Isaiah 55, and I'll show you what he's saying. Isaiah 55, come all you who are thirsty, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. You have to realize the high cost of it. And you have to realize you are what? Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, naked. You must realize this salvation is costly, but it is given as a gift. Come and receive. That's the idea. Come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. No one can buy salvation because it is priceless. That's the idea. That's the counsel. Buy from me. No other savior, no other atonement. And all other religions are false. It's a lie. Come and buy gold refined in the fire, pure gold, speaking about salvation. 
white garment speaking about again salvation righteousness speaks about purity come by gold that you may become really rich come by white garment which he gives you freely also that your nakedness may be covered you go to the marketplace you see a lot of naked people walking about they are rich but wretched they are rich but naked they are rich but blind they are rich but pitiable that's why i don't get impressed by anybody who is not a believer in jesus christ of course laodicea had a medical school and it is known for an eye salve for people with eye problem but your problem is what you must come and buy from me an eye salve that you may truly see be honest and repent thank god for that opportunity and finally the invitation you see jesus is outside and this is a church and jesus is outside because they have money they are educated they are rich they are famous they are powerful they have political connection why do you need jesus and then we read behold behold see he takes initiative god always takes initiative behold in other words see something wonderful behold number 2 behold i stand in the greek it means i have been standing here for a long time in the perfect tense as take i stand against the door of your heart i stand and i knock that's in the present tense i continuously knock isn't that wonderful god has come behold it's a wonderful sight the incarnation god has come down from heaven into our low estate and he's standing and he's knocking continually he calls you by name nobody is going to be saved unless he takes initiative and he has taken initiative let's praise god for it but there is also human responsibility if anyone hears my voice and open the door that's speaking about conversion but you cannot be converted unless there is regeneration <laughs> and the truth is he regenerates you he opened the heart of lydia that she may believe and it says if anyone hears my voice and open the door i will come in i will come in hallelujah i mean you're amazed at this great mercy of god yes. to this wretched miserable blind naked people who declared their independence from God and trusted in their money and their position and yet God is not destroying them he says i'm knocking i'm standing i'm calling here open i'll come in and i'll sup with him and he with me now in ancient times when a friend comes from some place in the middle of the night it is your responsibility ask the host to provide him with food isn't that true remember a, a friend came in the middle of the night and he didn't have any bread so he goes to another friend in the middle of the night and says some friend came i have nothing but here is christ coming with your supper he is always the host and you are the guests and this is covenant meal this is great enjoyment this is the meal in the evening time there is eating and there is drinking then there is talking there is communication as it happened in the garden of eden the cool of the day god came for that this is what real life is all about fellowship with god money cannot do it 
position cannot do it. It makes you miserable, wretched, pitiable, blind, naked, hopeless. Two people sitting in the room, staring at each other. The love is gone, waiting for death, counting the money, counting the money. Nothing can save us, but he can save us. Hallelujah. He has come. He is knocking. He is standing. He is knocking. He is calling. He has taken the initiative. And he also raises the dead. So open the door. I'll come in. I'll sub with him and he with me. Fellowship. God and man. Fellowshipping in Jesus Christ. You are the guest. He is the host. Let me tell you, this is joy everlasting. This is what life is. Amen. God and man. Fellowshipping. He said, you are neither cold nor hot. Now we were there at Colossae. They had fresh water from springs you can drink. Refreshing. At Hierapolis they had medicinal water from hot springs. But Laodicea doesn't have water. Probably it got some water from Hierapolis by the time it came to Laodicea. We saw some stone pipe. It was lukewarm. And it was filled with calcium carbonate. You put that in the mouth and it nauseates you and results in big spit. And that's what it is. Tepid, useless, lukewarm. And the counsel is given. I'm glad they, he didn't spit them out and then counsel. He said, I'm going to spit you out. I'm going to tell you this good news. I stand at the door and I knock and I call your name. If you hear my voice and open the door, I'll come in. Hallelujah. But if you don't do it, on that day there is going to be a big spit which will be what? I never knew you department. It is a spit away from the presence of God to the second death called lake of fire. This is serious business. Who said it? This is reality. This is no fantasy. This day is a day of mercy. You are here. <laughs> you are here. You are not spit out. You are not killed by the sword of his mouth. Isn't that wonderful? But he cannot fool him. He knows all about you. He reads your heart and he sees all ugliness of it. And yet he comes in mercy and in grace. Isn't that wonderful? He's not using the sword yet. He's not spitting you out. This morning is a time of mercy. He stands, he knocks, he calls. Open your heart. Repent. Welcome him. Eat with him. And he with you. And he brought with him what you really need. Our hearts are restless until they rest in God. He said, come unto me, I'll give you rest. He is the bread of life. Heavenly Father, we pray that you help us to pay heed to your call. Help us to open our heart.
Help us to repent. Help us to welcome you as Lord. You are not hungering and you are not thirsting. We hunger. We thirst. We are poor. We are naked. We are wretched. We are pitiable. Not you. But you have come from heaven in search of us miserable sinners. Come, Lord Jesus. Feed us. Refresh us. Heal us. We repent of our sins. In Jesus' name, amen. You have been listening to Grace and Glory Audio, part two of the mini-sermon series entitled Reality vs. Fantasy. Come back soon for more transforming Bible teaching from Pastor P.G. Matthew.